Hey everybody, it's Todd A. Davis here, your host for the Computer Resume Podcast, here to talk to you before the episode, which means, here's the disclaimer. The episode we're discussing today, Season 2, Episode 14, Stigma, deals with the fallout of the episodes of Enterprise Season 1, Episode 17, Fusion. And the fallout is the central focus of this week's podcast episode, Sexually Transmitted Diseases, and the stigma that they can bring. Part of what makes Star Trek such a wonderful franchise to follow is the through line of openness and understanding, especially the level of understanding that has been reached by the human race at the time the franchise depicts. Sadly, we don't live in those times yet. Many people hold personal thoughts and feelings against the people who may carry sexually transmitted disease or may have come from a different culture where sexual activities are viewed much differently. We started the show with the expressed intent of not being gatekeepers. We feel that everyone is entitled to their own opinion. If this particular discussion might be too much for you to handle, we here at the Computer Resume Podcast understand and respect that. But we also feel that avoiding these topics does not improve the circumstances for many people in this world, and that boldly going and having these discussions are a first step in understanding, helping, and healing. I'd like to thank the other members of the Slice of Fried Golden Network, as well as the voice of the Computer Resume Podcast, my wife, Mrs. Cat Davis, for their continued understanding and support, Andy Holt for being willing to sit and have this discussion with me, and for all of you for listening. And if you decide not to listen to this episode, that's fine. But please keep in mind that you might not know someone's whole story. So please, stop and think before you judge a book by its cover. That being said, let's cue the cold open. Incoming transmission. The Klingon word of the day is ROP. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. So, this is a huge victory for the good guys. Scotty, beam me up. Resistance is futile. Live long and prosper. And welcome to the Computer Resume Podcast, the show covering the entire Star Trek franchise in chronological order for fans new and old. I'm your host, writer-comedian, Mr. Todd A. Davis. Look, up in the sky, it's a man dressed like a bird, and he's got an adorable little robot with him. It's Andy Holt! Yeah! Oh, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, I'm so happy to to discuss this with you because uh, you're the you're the first person that I've met right here, right now. <laughs> we I found you. I found you amidst my scrolling of social media. <laughs> and, yes. uh, I I the the first thing I noticed was actually somebody. I'm not, and I don't remember the name. Uh, sorry if you're out there. Uh, but they snuck a picture, basically a selfie with themselves and peanut hamper. Like you built your own peanut hamper. Oh, yes, I um, I, I built a lot of things. Yes, yes, I did. And um, peanut hamper, I, I even thought of, of all the things I built, peanut hamper was just like not even like, honestly, nothing against her. But it wasn't like even the top, top thing, the biggest thing I ever built. It was just like. I, I built her, I brought her to the Star Trek convention a couple of months ago that was in, in, in Vegas. Nice. And, you know, I was carrying her around. She got so much attention. It was, it was kind of crazy. And then it's awesome for, for yeah. the listeners who don't know, Andy's a, and he's a big cosplayer and your I think your internet, your social media claim to fame is you have a really dope Hawkman costume. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Uh, thank you for mentioning that. I think, that is definitely what I am known for is cosplaying the uh, DC superhero Hawkman, who's part of the Justice League, but honestly, a lot of people don't even know who he is. Oh. But yes, I, I am. I've built so many um, sets of Hawkman wings, including, uh, well, you know, uh, Todd, we're, we're on the camera right now. I know this is a podcast and you probably won't have the video, yeah, but good. if you look like, behind me, I have my first set of wings 
hanging on the wall. Oh, I oh yeah, I see them. They are they are exquisite looking, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's my first set I built like in 2015, and then since then, I have built um, uh, five more six sets. I am on set number six right now. Wow. Um, Jeez, yeah, man. I and so I just kind of mainly have been sticking with this character. I, I guess I just I, I I connected with this character. I like him. Hey, and yeah, absolutely. I, so yeah, just so, to give a, the a little bit more info from what from my point of view it looks like those wings are roughly six to seven feet tall and about four to five feet wide with like a full like uh with like a full harness that goes i mean how much do those things weigh well that set that you see here is is probably a little bit smaller than you just described um but and and the wingspan if i remember correctly is probably when it's because it opens up, um, and when it opens up, it's probably about eh, maybe ten feet wingspan. Yeah, that's awesome. That's, that's so cool. Yeah, that's actually probably my smallest set. So wow. I don't even know if you realize. <clears throat> like, okay, so this set is a manual set. It's um, uh, I I physically have to pull a cable to to raise them, and and it's kind of heavy, and it's my first design, and actually takes both hands to pull the cable. And, and it looks awkward when I do it, but, you know, I, did it. I yeah. built it and then I pull the cable and the wings go up. So the second set, I started thinking, oh, I could build it using electronic components, but what can I use? And then I used, um, finally figured out I can use um, these window regulators from a car. You know, the thing that puts your window up and down when you flip the little switch. Yeah. And I used a couple of those to to raise and lower the wings and um, that one worked well. It was probably about a 13, 14 foot wingspan, probably about 13. Um, and it was pretty heavy. It was probably about 30 pounds or so, but it worked well. Wow. And and it was big, bulky backpack. And then the set three, I I, I, I made refinements on it. I, it. I made too many refinements. It wasn't that great of a set mechanically. Set four, I was like, you know what? I can really make a big set. And, and set number four was uh, over 19 foot wingspan. Whoa. And it is it is big. It is it was big enough to earn me a Guinness World Record title for largest mechanical wings on a cosplay costume. Holy crap, that's awesome. <laughs> that is so cool. Oh my god, that's awesome. So clearly Hawkman, as you mentioned, is your favorite. Have you have you cosplayed as anyone or anything else? Well, yeah. Um I I have cosplayed a handful of other characters. I, I have a, a, a reasonably nice Han Solo outfit. That's that's that character from that, you know, that other space franchise. Hey, hey there's <laughs> nothing wrong with mentioning it here. That's there's there's no gatekeepers. We're we're Star Wars friendly. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 Star Trek wise, I think I have I, I literally have about 30 cosplays for Star Trek. I have nice. I, Ridiculous number of Star Trek outfits. Yes. Any any particular era your favorite of Star Trek? Um, well, as far as the shows go, I think my my favorite is is still a toss up between the original series and and Next Gen. As far as watching them, those are my favorites. Yeah, yeah, it's tough I, to beat. Yeah, yeah. My my wife will just come up to me and say, "You're wrong. It's Deep Space Nine." <laughs> <laughs> That's her favorite. Nice, and nice. And um, I, I actually really like Enterprise a lot. I, I feel like a lot of people um, will, will choose those. Those what seem to be the ones that people choose. Um, TOS, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, maybe Voyager. And then a lot of people just don't like Enterprise. They yeah. just, just don't. It, it's, a, it's a different flavor when you're watching these shows. It is very much. And Enterprise, I think Enterprise has the, uh, you know, just overall seems to be the punching bag of the of the franchise everybody loves to hate loves to hate enterprise I, and i you know i think there was a don't get me wrong i think there were a few missteps and we've discussed those here on the show um mm -hmm. but you know it's they set a really high bar with next gen and deep space nine and voyager they were all very very good shows and still yeah. hold up very well um, so, you know, that's, that, those are big shoes to fill, even though they were currently wearing the shoes, those are still big shoes to fill. And, um, you know, everything that they're doing in the, in the franchise now seems to just be taking it to that next level. I mean, we've discussed, uh, 
that science fiction, just science fiction in general, has always been a commentary on who we are, where we're going. Um, you know, it's also been a, a mirror to reflect, hey, this is this is happening right now. And I think we're seeing a lot of that too. And I think it's been really great to see finally some true diversity behind the camera. You know, TOS really started the diversity in front of the camera, um, you know, after, after the cage of having a pretty diverse um, bridge crew to begin with. And then that yeah. seemed to continue uh, into the later series. And then, you know, but at the, behind the scenes, I, and I've discussed this at length, you know, you still had a lot of white guys sitting in a room, you know, and it wasn't until now that we've got a whole lot of folks, men, women, every, every, and everything in between black, white, and everything in between. And that's kind of what Starfleet and Star Trek is. It's all these people coming together for a cause bigger than themselves. Now in the real world, it's making a TV show, which is quite an undertaking, but you know, in Starfleet, it's, you know, saving races one week at a time and, you know, all, all these different things. And I think it's just great. And you mentioned before we started rolling, you mentioned that, uh, that you're a big fan of, of Star Trek, a really big fan of Star Trek. What do you have an earliest, an earliest memory or a favorite character that really sticks out to you of like desert Island, you know, a desert Island episode or desert Island character? That, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I have a specific memory. I do, I, I, I do remember like watching the show in, in the seventies mm -hmm. and when it was in syndication, it was gaining popularity. Yeah. And it was like, you know, it was, it was good. It was fun. I, I, I enjoyed it. And I still don't really honestly understand why I liked it or why I like it so, so much back then. It, my parents, neither of them were, were into sci-fi they um i had some a handful of friends i think who were into it and i, I don't know maybe because i just i felt like as a kid i never fit in because you know okay so for for younger viewers that don't really understand back then it wasn't cool to like star trek yeah yeah <laughs> nowadays now it, i literally had a rule in for for myself that when i was working um i guess in the 90s um I don't talk about Star Trek at work. I don't, I don't let people know that I'm a fan. I'm not even joking. I really didn't yeah. because I was a serious diehard fan and I just did not, I just didn't, I, I have that little rule. I just didn't let people know unless I became like pretty close friends with people at work. And then it's like, by the way, I, I like Star Trek. <laughs> it was kind of like quiet. So I, I don't yeah. know about this memory back then, you know, when we only had TOS, I think, you know, so everybody gravitated towards Spock. He was so such a unique character. Of course. Yeah. Next Gen came out. I, I think I definitely loved Data. Um, and then, but nowadays, like when, when people ask me who, who's my favorite character, mm. I kind of half jokingly tell them, "Well, I think it's Admiral Nagura." <laughs> hey, and, good choice. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you if you know the reference if, if you kind of know who he is. Um, Admiral Nagura was only mentioned. He was actually technically never shown on screen on, on any canon Star Trek show. Right? Oh, okay. He was in in um, TOF, uh, the, excuse me, uh, TMP, the motion picture, the first mm. Star Trek movie. Mm -hmm. um, Kirk mentioned something about, um, you know, he talked to Admiral Nagura, the fleet admiral, and he got his ship back. So, you know, Nagura gave him command of the Enterprise. Nice. Um, nice. And, and um, are you... Uh, Todd, are you familiar with uh, Star Trek Continues? I have I have heard of it, and I've seen a couple screenshots, and it looks like they've remained very faithful to it. But I have not I have not dived in just yet. I'm okay. curious to. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think you of all people, you should look into this. Um, they 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 there's a group of people who started making new TOS episodes, nice. and and they basically um, completed the five year mission, and they bridged the gap between. TOS and, and the motion picture. And it's wow. really, really, really nicely done. 11 full length TOS episodes with, with new, you know, different casts playing the original series uh, characters. Wow. And so I was fortunate enough to, to be able to play Admiral Nagura in the very last episode that they did. Get out of town. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. That's really awesome. I've been, um, 
I've been sort of softly campaigning uh, to be I, by anybody, by anybody making anything uh, to cast me as Captain Robert April. Uh, for, <laughs> okay. And uh, right. I, I know that Actually, there's first Captain of the Enterprise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I think I would bring sort of a Riker-esque, Kirk-esque pirate quality to the character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I would, uh, yeah. I, I mean, and I know there's been folks out there who uh, who have actually done fan films. And uh, I don't know, maybe you can answer this if, if in Star Trek continues, if anybody has actually played Robert April on that series. I don't think so. Okay. Um, I, I think it's more focused on Kirk, right? It is. It, it really is. Um, yeah. It's, it's just like TOS episodes picking up after the third season. Right. So right. I think yeah. they had originally intended to do a lot more episodes, but then CBS put, put the brakes on, on the fan shows, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, it's, I, most, mostly yeah. I just want to, I, I want to be in a Starfleet uniform and come onto the bridge very seriously, but then wrap yeah. up Anson mountain, like a big bear hug and be like, ah, Chris, it's good to see you. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> like, who is this weirdo? <laughs> yeah. uh, are you keeping my ship in good shape, Chris? <laughs> um, I suspect we'll see him in, in Strange New Worlds in some one form or another. Or at least, I'm thinking they'll at least talk about him. They, they, they got to talk about him. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I I, I think uh, because I'm, I'm 37, so I imagine th- my version of Robert April will be the version that is slowly regressing in age, uh, <laughs> and just embracing all of his uh kid kid like tendencies of <laughs> you know tapping people on the shoulder and then running in the opposite direction, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, well, man, that is that is really awesome. Congratulations on that. I had no idea. I had no idea you got to play a role. That's awesome. That's really, yeah, really yeah. cool. It was pretty cool. It was very, um, very, very fun experience. Where do they, uh, where do they shoot? They, um, they actually have, um, well, I think they might've moved it, but they actually had an entire um, set built in like a soundstage warehouse in, um, I think it's called Kingsland, Georgia, which is oh. just barely north of the Florida order so everybody would go out there and and shoot their episodes and they'd spend i don't know a week or two or something like that every time going out there to to shoot these episodes it's extremely professionally done i i I have done some acting for like real shows and i've done some acting for you know fan made shows but this one was really operated just like any other real show with nice you know the lighting the camera work everything was very indistinguishable from a a regular old hollywood um production nice but do they keep do they yeah. keep the uh episodic structure is it kind of you know one one and done type episodes yeah it, it, it nice. well yes, yes they do every episode is its own story um i think that some of the stories a lot of them actually tie back into um other tos episodes cool so, um, nice first one that they did they had um michael forrest was on this episode and he played apollo on um the original series episode yes. it's called Children. yeah right? yeah so, so he's like 50 years older when when they did this and they just explained it with sci-fi you know of course um, and <laughs> and they just brought him back on to reprise the role oh man and, that's and awesome it was beautifully done the acting um everything was just exquisite it, it it was i think i believe it was the first episode that they did and it was already incredibly flawless wow that's awesome that's so cool a number of a very big name guest stars on the show uh john delancey was was on one of the episodes oh wow um yeah it, they, the the guest stars they got on there were tremendous uh Gigi edgley had, had a major role in one of the episodes Jeez. um pretty pretty crazy um the show was is beautifully uh made you really uh, i highly encourage you to watch it where uh where do you where do you where can you find all the episodes are they i think i watched them on youtube but i think you can also go directly to star trek continues.com and they're all right there um it's all it's all free you can just watch it streaming 
Nice. That sounds like a weekend. <laughs> yeah, it's 11 episodes. I, I have never talked to any Star Trek fan um, that has not liked this stuff. Wow. I'd, well, you've sold me. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look into it. I may even reach out to some of the folks and see if, see if they'd like to come on and talk about enterprise yeah. <laughs> as, as we go through this. <laughs> there are um, so many um, throwbacks and references, but you know, because they had the advantage of doing it when they did there, there are throw forwards to, to like TNG and stuff. Nice. They, they put a ship's house on the ship as like, you know, an experiment. Oh, cool. That's very cool. Yeah. Uh, so Let's get into let's get into Enterprise specifically. Uh, you mentioned that you're a big fan, so I don't imagine this was the first viewing for you. No, um, it wasn't. I uh, I think I may have mentioned to you uh, earlier. I've I've watched every Star Trek show, every everything that's considered canon, and of course a lot that's not really canon. Yeah, um, I watched it all. So, but I have to admit that Enterprise was the very last. Um, um, Star Trek show that I watched. In in other words, I did I didn't watch it when it first came out. Mm. I watched all the other shows when they came out or relatively soon after they came out. But for whatever reason, I, I skipped over Enterprise. Well, to be honest, I think I watched a little bit of the first season. It was a little boring, and it it really took um, much of the first season, maybe into the second season, for it to really get more interesting. Yeah. But I finally sat myself down and watched all four seasons of Enterprise, um, I would say maybe uh, just a couple years ago, maybe. Um, and then finally finished it. And then, you know, I, I was like, oh, wow, I really finally watched it all. I finally watched it all. And then, you know, you mentioned uh, these episodes. So I think I watched them again uh, just a couple days ago, trying to kind of pay attention. And I watched the two, two episodes um, uh, dealing with the uh, T'Pol's uh, issues. I watched them back to back just a couple days ago. Yeah, I find that, that, you know, we've talked about this and I'm sure you'll probably uh, confirm, uh, you know, because Enterprise came out just after 9-11 and it was sort of post the episodic trend, but it was pre-serialized TV, which I always attribute to the TV show Lost because mm. because it kind of fell in the middle. It wasn't either. And it kind of started episodic. But then, you know, as those. Uh, episodes go on those seasons those later seasons is where we start to see like two and three episode arcs so we're getting little arcs so what you know we see star trek i like to think that this is the growing pains of star trek is you know it's been this one particular way for so long and now okay we have to be willing to adapt and change and maybe this is this was the show it's a little painful but here we go we got through it and now you know we've got the stuff like discovery and picard which is an ongoing story from from episode one on and it's it's been great i think i think we can actually if we can look at it objectively i think we can actually thank enterprise for a lot of things you know um but you know let's uh let's not let's not wait too much longer let's get into this week's recap spoiler alert spoiler alert Alert. Wednesday on an all-new Enterprise, T'Pol carries a secret she cannot reveal. It's too great a risk. You're jeopardizing your reputation, your career. The Vulcans will do anything to discover it. High Command will decide whether she is fit for duty. Now it's only a matter of time. I'm not going to give you up without a fight. Doc Flox tells Paul that his treatment of her potentially fatal disease, Panar syndrome, is losing effectiveness. So he'd like to make a confidential inquiry with Vulcan doctors. Attending an interspecies medical exchange on the planet Enterprise is now orbiting. Paul resists, but Doc Flox chooses to go anyway. Before he does, his second wife, Fizal, arrives to help install a new microscope, and she soon begins making amorous advances on trip. Confused, Trip can't quite wrap his mind around polygamy, which in Denobulan culture is quite a normal practice. Meanwhile, on the planet, Doc Flox's inquiries with the Vulcans yield little info. When the Vulcans request to interview Flox and T'Pol, it's clear that the subterfuge has failed, since the Vulcans trick T'Pol into providing a medical sample which confirms their suspicions. Pinar syndrome is only transmitted via mind meld, 
a practice which is considered taboo on the Vulcan homeworld. Archer is upset to learn about T'Pol's condition from the Vulcans. Archer then pays his own visit to the Vulcans, a visit which is no more fruitful than Phlox's first. One of the doctors, Eurus, sets up a secret meeting with T'Pol to give her the info she seeks. He reveals a closely guarded secret. He himself is a mind melder. T'Pol tells Eurus that the meld which gave her the disease was forced on her. Eurus begs her to tell the others before the Vulcan High Command is informed of her condition, but she declines. Help me to help you, Barbie. Help me to help you. Help me to help you. Help me to help you. It then comes out that T'Pol could lose her commission since Pinar Syndrome is a stigmatized disease. Oh, that's why they call it that. Archer uses a loophole in Vulcan protocol to force a hearing. T'Pol remains silent, but Archer stands by his science officer, all the while resisting the Vulcan doctors. Eurus then reveals his status as a melder. And exposes T'Pol's secret. As a result, he is suspended, but T'Pol is allowed to remain on Enterprise. And there was much rejoicing. She continues to stand her ground and states her intent to inform the High Command of recent events, hoping to defend Eurus and encourage others to challenge prejudice. Let's get him! So uh, we also discussed uh, earlier before we got rolling that um, this is some pretty heavy material that they're approaching. And I got I to gotta hand it to really every version of Star Trek, and you can confirm this as well, you know, with the 60s being, quote unquote, cheesy or cheap with, you know, bad costumes, bad sets, whatever. I I always tell people, hey, if you can look past that, they were doing some incredible things with the writing of the original series. And I feel like they kind of uh, like they carried that over into the TNG era, discussing certain things, maybe maybe with mixed reviews and some mixed success here, but this one, you know, feels very of the time. And I feel like they took the issues that were brought up in fusion back in episode, uh, back in season one, and really sort of see them through to this episode where we're dealing with the fallout of some of this stuff. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? Yeah. Yeah. You, you bring up some um, good, interesting parallels i i do agree with you like in tos when they wrote a lot of those things um i think a lot of them take a lot of people take for granted what they did in tos because it, it's it's been um uh redone it's been copied it's been overdone it's been spooked but uh people don't realize it well they're the ones that started it there mm. the, you know having you know, i guess what you consider the, the token black guy the token asian guy it wasn't there before Mm. um exploring all these 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 social commentary type ideas really i don't i don't think it was there in tv before um and and they're still doing it here in this episodes of enterprise but i also think that by the time they did these enterprise episodes it it was much more commonplace um it, it had been done before it had been done by other shows but this one was a little bit more unique i think it was better done it was it was um i think that the parallels that they're putting in here is that you know, to paul was uh, arguably uh raped by the other vulcan when he did the mind meld oh yeah absolutely kind of forced on her but one thing that i did notice about about that whole situation if you go back to that first episode where that mind meld actually happened um she agreed to allow him to do that to do the mind meld yeah and she, he just didn't back off when she asked him to stop. Mm. That was the, the problem. Well, in this second episode um, that you just recapped, she she mentions that she, he was, you know, he forced himself up upon her. Well, it, it, everybody's believing that, but I don't even think that that's completely true. I think she agreed to do this and he just didn't stop when she told him to stop. So I, I feel like she wasn't even quite truthful in her recounting of what happened. It's... It's a distinction to be sure. Uh, you know, I, uh, my nine to five, I'm actually a paralegal uh, working at a, a small firm here in South Carolina. And we see some things where, and I'll, I'll choose my words delicately here. Um, 
memory is not always uh, memory is not always a reliable source of evidence. And um, amongst all parties, you know, uh, victim and perpetrator, you know, it's, you know, memory is unreliable is what I'm driving at. Um, mm. I think, I think the overarching victimization of to Paul is really the, is really the, uh, is really the key here. Now, you know, the verbiage of forced himself or, um, or she allowed it to a point is all is all is is pretty moot it, the long and short of it is you know consent can be given consent can also be taken away and uh you know it's it's important to it and it is important to keep that in mind i i you know we we discussed that uh in at length in the episode back in season one with my good friend ren sims uh when we talked about fusion and it's it's important it's important to note that the justice system here in america is I, I always end up having to say to clients and to any paralegal I'm training, keep in mind, it is an imperfect system run by imperfect people. Do not be surprised when it fails. And I think, you know, I've, we've seen, we've seen where people make false accusations. We've seen where people who are accused appear not guilty. And as the case goes along, we start getting the evidence in and oh, you know what? They may have done it. We're not sure. And it's, you know, there's, there's so many things that cannot be approached with a black and white viewpoint of like, well, it either is or it isn't. It's not that simple. It just isn't. No, no legal matter is no issue of abuse is, uh, you know, God, the list, that list goes on and on and on. But I think what's interesting here is the interaction of her resistant to letting people know and then having someone else out themselves and thusly outing to Paul. It's, it's an interesting turn of events. And um, I think, gosh, you could spend all day picking this apart. The, the social issues, the issues of privacy, the issues of medical, of medical privacy. My wife works in the medical field. And, um, you know, HIPAA laws, HIPAA laws are nothing to mess with. And you mentioned, I agree with you. There's, yeah. there's so much, um, there is so much social commentary that can be implied through here. The, the, the mind melders can, can definitely be loosely compared to, to, to being gay. Um, and there's all these different, um, by, by our American medical standards, uh, how many, how many privacy laws were breached in these interactions? Oh, yeah. Balkans? took a sample of her DNA and, and, and analyzed it. And, you know, there was definitely no consent there. And then just kind of like that, eh, let everybody know. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and um, Captain Archer was asking, how come I didn't know, you know, and, and, and the doctor had to re remind him, hey, well, it's kind of an issue of privacy. Yeah. And even today, I mean, you could make this parallel today where everybody seems to be, feel very comfortable to ask if you're vaccinated or not. And I, seem to remember back in the day when 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 medical issues were were considered private but you know nobody's even i i have never even heard of anybody uh, bringing this issue up anymore we just kind of take it for granted that oh we just threw that right away we didn't really, don't really care about that one yeah gosh you know it's and it's funny that you mentioned uh being vaxxed, like so many people are very quick to whip out their vaccination cards, you know, almost, almost like a business card or like a, uh, or like a, uh, you know, your ID at a club of just like, and here's my vax card. Like, really? That's sensitive, sensitive, personal medical information. <laughs> I always thought it was, I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know. I, I guess I've, I've done that a few times when I feel like well, if I don't whip it out, I ain't going into this thing or I'm not joining this event or I'm not doing whatever. And yeah, okay, I guess I'm my, my hand is forced and I'm not maybe I don't, you know, I'm not sure what it is to benefit me to not show it. So I might as well show it. Yeah. But I, I, ultimately, I don't feel it's right. Yeah. It's well, and you know, it's in it, it, everybody's in everybody's push to to get back to normal. Um, you know, I, you know, there's obviously, and again, I'm not a doctor, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm some idiot with, a, I'm some idiot with a microphone. That's all I've got. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, 
you're um you're back in uh going to conventions fairly regularly if that's yeah. if i'm reading that right um i just came back from one uh today we came back uh we drove back from uh vegas today we were at the convention uh friday saturday sunday it's, it's monday today yeah 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 good time great time and um but i have to admit that the conventions i am going to they're probably only uh, maybe half to two thirds of the attendance that I would have expected. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a strange time and you know, every, everybody, Oh, please. You know, I've said it before, whatever you do out there, <laughs> listeners, just be careful. I mean that even if we weren't in a pandemic, it's still good advice. Be careful. <laughs> Wash your hands. <laughs> uh, but anyways, um, Gosh, yeah, there. I think there are so many parallels uh, to be drawn here, socially and from a medical standpoint. And uh, gosh, it yeah, there's there's a lot to unravel here. I think it's interesting to see with the Vulcans being so hypocritical about uh, privacy, and then and we've seen in the episodes leading up to this that Archer's pretty much a fly by the seat of his pants kind of guy, you know, he's, he's, he's little more than a pilot when they just make him earth's ambassador to all these new races, which may or may not be probably not a good decision by the, uh, by uh, Starfleet. But yeah, this here, you know, this is, this is new ground, you know, they're his doc, his doctor on board isn't from earth. So he's got that level of stuff to kind of, grow and uh continue to learn and understand and then when his vulcan science officer starts dealing with these folks on the home world he still thinks that he's entitled to all this other stuff and i you know that sense of entitlement that sense of entitlement permeates archer almost to a crippling degree you know when he takes his dog to a planet where they worship trees Really? You're you're confused and upset that they got upset when your dog peed on one of their trees? Is that really such a shocker, Archer? Come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I do I do think that um um well all throughout all of Star Trek, we we do see this ambassadorship going to foreign cultures. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like there are just um uh, certain cultural aspects we will not accept if they go against our, our general sensibilities. We, we value our individual freedom so much that if a culture violates that, we'll fight with them. Um, yeah. if, if a culture um, uh, d- doesn't allow uh, free will or imposes certain will on certain people, uh, we don't like that. But the truth of the matter is, here on Earth today, we still have that in a lot of places. Oh, and yeah. what we're trying to go out there and promote is an American idealism. Um, and yeah. you know, to a certain point, I do agree with this. And but then on the other hand, uh, well, if you really say you respect all cultures and this this prime directive thing, they, those things clash all the time. Yeah, it, it was always those those episodes, and not just of Enterprise, but pretty seemingly of most of Star Trek. Those were always the ones where it was just like, oh yeah, not every culture wants to be in the Federation, like. <laughs> not every culture is super down with this. Like sometimes you're just going to have to throw your hands up and go, okay, we'll see you back here in like two or 300 years. <laughs> we'll revisit you someday. <laughs> Maybe things will change, but yeah, you know, that, and that, you know, you want to think that everybody's going to be on the same, on the same page as uh, you know, everybody striving towards the greater good to, seek out new life and learn and grow and for, you know, the betterment of all life and all that stuff. And not everybody's down. You're not going to be, you know, superheroes, you're not going to be able to save everybody, you know, detectives, you're not going to be able to solve every case. You know, there's things that, you know, and if you don't let go, those things will eat at you much like a virus, you know? And uh, I think that's where it comes into Hey, look, if you're not able to let these things go, this stuff is going to eat away at you. And then you got to talk about therapy and, you know, finding some, finding some way to unload this stuff. Um, I come from, before I got into, uh, you know, paralegal, I was, I was a law enforcement officer and 
and the the statistics that they would give us of divorce, alcoholism, drug abuse, spousal abuse, suicide, which are bad enough in law enforcement through the roof on all of them. And like, really? And then as you spend more time in law enforcement, like, okay, yeah, I see it. I get it. Like, and it's these things of people take the job home and that could be in any industry. You take the job home. And if you're in a position of some authority or something like that, um, you know, and you try to treat your spouse that way may not go, may not go that well. Or if you're the underling, you know, the vice, you know, vice versa is also true. If you're so used to getting stepped on that when you go home, you know, nothing else, but to let folks run all over you, that's going to be a problem too. And it's, oh, these, I think as much flack as enterprise gets, I think if they'd have started, I think, well, first of all, a lot of people that give enterprise grief haven't watched enterprise, <laughs> but secondly, the folks that have and don't like it, I want to say, are, did you peel at least one layer back to look at what they're really talking about? Well, I think, yeah, I do agree with you to a certain extent. And I think that enterprise had a hard, hard, start the mm. let's just be honest the first season was kind of boring um Fair. and 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 i really kind of had to push myself to get through the first season and the second season i felt was maybe a little bit better but the third season i think was when they started the whole uh zindi arc yes um, i believe so and 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 so spoiler alert for those of you who haven't watched it that and it's been out for about 20 years now. i was gonna say it's a 20 year old <laughs> show if you're behind that's kind of on you <laughs> i i liked that zindi arc it had its problems um but i i really that's when i think i really started enjoying it and really like when i was watching it, it's like looking forward to watching the next episode kind of thing um back to the feeling i got with you know watching the other shows that i the other Star Trek shows mm. that I really like. So it, it took a bit to, to get off the ground, I have to admit. And I think that they could have run for uh, more seasons, but I feel like they cut it off at, you know, after season four. It was pro- probably a little bit premature because every other show they had, they had done, you know, save TOS, they, they were running for seven seasons. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and still in looking at it, um, you know, uh, we've made some comparisons here on the show, uh, especially when I crossed over with uh, the Red Shirts podcast out of England, talking about Star Trek in America versus Doctor Who over in England and mm. looking at things like, yeah, we've been, uh, you know, both shows have been running since the 60s, but mm. Doctor Who three, four, maybe six or seven, you know, it's only recently that they've been doing like 10 or 12 episodes in a season, whereas Star Trek hit the ground with like 22, 24, 25 episodes a season and running that. That's a lot of content. That's a lot of content. Yeah. They're not doing it anymore though. Nowadays. Yeah. The idea of these uh, digital, digital formats and uh, people binge watching and really, you know, in paying, paying attention to story and character development um, they've learned like, Oh, you know, we can, tell a really nice, tight, concise story in 12 episodes instead of 24. And uh, it'll keep the fans coming back. And it's true. And of course, you know, some of the actors we're working with are not spring chickens anymore. They, they you know, 24 episodes is a lot to ask of Patrick Stewart. <laughs> um, so as with every episode, we always ask, who do we blame? Uh, this episode was written by Berman and Braga. Uh, the last episode was season two, episode 10, Vanishing Point. And the episode was directed by David Livingston, whose last episode was the very next episode, season two, episode 11, Precious Cargo. And yeah. the guest stars, the guest stars, we've got a couple of interesting ones here. First off, Miss Melinda Page Hamilton as Fizal, uh, Flox's, uh, Flox's wife. Uh, she's, she's a, she, strikes me reading over her resume she strikes me as a working character actor uh you know uh and i'm just hitting some of the bigger chunks here three episodes of desperate housewives six episodes of big love four episodes of mad men 10 episodes of devious uh devious maids three episodes of dig 20 episodes of how to get away with murder three episodes of mrs america and between those things is handfuls of just 
every show you've ever heard of, every show you've never heard of. Um, and I always love the character actors because they they're just they are living the dream. They are just grinding it out. I love that. Uh, we've also got Michael Ensign as Dr. Orat, um, who started who uh, kicked off his career in 1978 with a little film called Superman. Uh, directed by Richard Donner. And then uh, in the next uh, next chunk of his career, we've got 1981. He was in Buddy Buddy, where he played an assistant manager. Uh, 1982, he was in Pink Floyd, The Wall, which is one of my favorite movies. I'm a big uh, Pink Floyd guy, uh, where he was the hotel manager. And then in 1984, he was in Ghostbusters, uh, also as a hotel manager. So it's good to know that if uh, his acting career never takes off, at least he's got managerial experience. Um, <laughs> he's also got some uh, steady TV work from 1972 all the way to 1991 uh, when he got his first role in the franchise. Uh, 1991, he was on uh, the Star Trek Next Generation episode First Contact as Mr. Corolla. Uh, and um, Rounding out the guest stars this week, we've got Mr. Jeffrey Hayenga as Dr. Uris, and he's a uh, primarily a New York theater actor uh, in productions uh, on and off Broadway, including The Elephant Man, Man Who Came to Dinner, <laughs> Two Rooms, Hamlet, and King Lear. And he's also got a couple of writing credits to his name, uh, Search for Tomorrow and Another World. Those are both soap operas, but you know what? That's kind of that that's the that's the gears that keeps the that keeps the television industry running are those soap operas, man. That daytime television. But uh, getting into some of the behind the scenes here, we've got in late two thousand two, Viacom, which owned UPN, which of course is where Enterprise premiered, mandated that all fictional programs on its schedule would sometime during the two thousand two two thousand three season produce a special episode addressing the AIDS. HIV pandemic. And um, this is this is interesting. Brandon Braga wanted to write an AIDS awareness story that was a subtle allegory and that wasn't too preachy or tried uh, for, you know, cheap sympathy. And I think they accomplished that here. The story was more about the stigma and prejudice surrounding the disease than the disease itself. You know, we'll leave that stuff to scrubs and house, but uh, Braga was also aware of the failed attempt to tell a similar story in the TNG script, Blood and Fire, by David Gerald. That never made it out of development and into production. Rick Berman thought the episode was in keeping with the tradition of Star Trek. You know, Star Trek, like we've discussed here already tonight, uh, has touched on many different topics, race, religion, and everything in between and everything surrounding it. Um, and uh, he said, we dealt with the alien situation, something that would turn the whole idea, the whole initiative on its ear to be looked at in a different way. And uh, I think they actually did a really good job of this. Um, and I think, uh, Andy, do you have any uh, thoughts furthering that? Um, I, I enjoyed the episodes. I, I actually, until you had mentioned the AIDS thing, I didn't even think about it because AIDS hasn't been in the news. I just kind of, in, in my mind, equated it with a generic uh, STD, I guess. Yeah. Um, but the, to back to a point we were mentioning earlier, I think one of the biggest problems in, I have with, and I'm, maybe I'm being very nitpicky, is the whole um, consent thing with, with T'Pol. Mm. She consented to have a mind meld with, with the other Vulcan guy. I don't remember his name, but mm. and she had the, the mind meld. And then she didn't like it and pushed him away and he didn't stop when she asked him to stop. But yeah. think about this. If he did stop when she asked him to stop, they were already mind melding. She would have still gotten the disease that yeah. the, the point that uh, the, 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 the fact that he didn't stop, he forced himself on her after she, she asked him to stop was irrelevant. She would have gotten the disease anyway. There were, I mean, okay. So if this is too, racy to put in your podcast i don't have a problem to be cut it out but it, it is it is uh analogous to he had already penetrated her and he was they were already having sex and then she said i don't like this i want you out and he he waited a while before he pulled back out yeah but when 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 you're already doing it you already got it and i don't think it would have mattered yeah it's definitely it's uh you know in terms of uh 
consent and uh, you know physical or sexual violence versus uh, health issue, it's kind of the the health issue is kind of more the health issue strikes me as more of a black and white of kind of you you either have this health issue or you don't. Yeah. Um, you know, because, yeah. because of the stigma, hence the name of the episode, I think is where they're drawing, you know, is where they're drawing some elements of this story and connecting it, obviously with that episode of fusion, which I think is a good way to sort of, it's a good way to, to bring it back to that because it was, and we had lots of issues that were addressed. You know, the fact that, you know, the violation his violation was never, you know, there was no repercussions for him. Um, you know, to Paul was actually um, sort of uh, co. Not, I won't say coerced, but to Paul's been getting the shaft since the pilot episode. She's been she's been <laughs> mistreated since the beginning of the episode, since the beginning of the series. But I think this is where the ripples of the stones being thrown in the water. I think these are where the ripples are meeting the shore of like, Hey, there's long lasting repercussions uh, on all sides of this issue. And I think at this time, 20 years ago, I mean, I was, I graduated high school 2002. So this was right around that time. And it was, you know, a lot of the guys I went to school with were (laughs) more concerned about going into the military because the towers had just come down. So, uh, you know, this, but this issue was uh, very important and still very relevant to this day. And I think, I think that's the thing is with Star Trek, the issues being discussed are issues that can continuously be discussed throughout time. You know, whatever side you take, it is a discussion worth having. It's a discussion worth exploring no matter where you stand, um, and I, and I think, and I think they do a good job of bringing this back around the other issue here with this episode is that this episode opened with a tribute to the crew of the space shuttle Columbia. And I, to my, to my, uh, to my shame, I, uh, I didn't remember this happening. And then in my research, it was just, it popped up of like, oh, and there, you know, the space shuttle Columbia. And I was like, Oh my God, I forgot all about this. I forgot all about the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster. Basically, uh, February 1st, 2003, uh, long story short, mission's going fine. And then upon re-entry, part of the equipment failed. And then, you know, one thing led to another and it ended up uh, exploding uh, in the sky over Texas. And I I was, you know, sadly, uh, you know, all lives lost, um, And it kind of, you know, in looking at it, pieces of debris were popping up on eBay. And it's, you know, kind of makes you, that's pretty cringy, you know, of like, oh, really? (laughs) We're going to sell the debris on eBay? Um, But I think that was very revealing of us as a culture. And um, it's important to see like this, this, you know, I'd like to think that their loss is not in vain. I think, you know. I like to think of it kind of like Tony Stark of like, let's go, let's run, let's, let's get, and if something breaks, okay, we'll, we'll fix that for next time. And I feel like Starfleet even sort of approached it that way of like, okay, here's your ship. You've got your, you know, warp five engine and you've got your crew. You've got someone building you a universal translator, have fun, get out there and uh, try not to die so we can learn from all your mistakes. Um, But the space shuttle Columbia was very, very real. And it hit home for a lot of people because again, you know, back in the sixties with the, uh, with the birth of television, a lot of these things, you know, the Kennedy assassination, the Vietnam war, uh, the towers coming down uh, and a lot of things that I'm just, that I just can't remember, you know, think to write down like a good host would. Um, we watched a lot of this stuff on television and, uh, you know, to see uh, Space Shuttle Columbia and to hear it's out there, it's available, folks. The last m- few minutes of the audio from the Space Shuttle from the Space Shuttle Columbia is out there. And uh, if you're a regular listener of this show, uh, when this show drops uh, last Wednesday, uh, we put up uh, a tribute to the Space Shuttle Columbia, including the final moments 
uh, with some music that was composed uh, as a tribute to the Columbia and again, uh, the president's speech to round out that episode, but just to sort of, you know, in a, in a way that we can't, in a way that we can here on the show, just try to encapsulate some of the audio um, and sort of capture the mood of, you know, what was happening when this episode of enterprise premiered, this was what was on people's minds. So this episode premiered at a very somber time in our country, dealing with issues that are still not resolved and are still being dealt with to this day. And um, moving right along, I feel uh, it would be uh, doing a disservice if we didn't talk about some of the reviews. So Entertainment Weekly gave this episode a B plus, calling it a thoughtful examination of both pride and prejudice although they found the B story involving Dr. Flox's wife incongruous. This is something we actually haven't talked about yet was the, uh, the idea of the Denobulans are uh, polygamists. Uh, any thoughts on this handy? Um, I, I feel like, um, well, how, how, how far in advance, how far into the future are we at least a hundred years, right? Uh, yeah. At least a hundred. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and like even today in in societies around the world, there are polygamist societies, and there have been. So I'm kind of like feeling again. We we mentioned earlier how uh, a lot of the times Star Trek is out there um, trying to ex- expand the universe by promoting our human values, but they're really American values. Um, and this is a, a good example of uh, promoting the. The, the standard, you know, white, white bread American values when there's a lot of polygamous societies in, on, on earth today. Mm, and if you're yeah. going to try to reach out to other cultures, but you can't even accept a culture that, that is a subset of your own, I felt like his, his reaction to the polygamy was um, uh, an overreaction. And I'm kind of surprised that he, he would have thought that Dr. Flox would have a problem with him doing anything with his wife. He should have known. He should have been familiar enough with the Denobulan uh, culture to know that, hey, you, you messed around with the wife, it wouldn't have been a big deal. Right. I, that was I, the whole plot. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder, you know, with this being the B plot, how good of an idea was it to have this juxtaposed with the A plot dealing with the fallout of, uh, to Paul's, uh, to Paul's, uh, encounter and subsequent, pon- uh, oh, now I can't remember the name of the, I can't remember the name of the disease, uh, pon- uh Panar, Panar syndrome. Panar yeah. Syndrome. Yeah. I, I, I question, I question the decision to have these two plot lines juxtaposed to each other. Cause, uh, I, I feel like it sends mixed messages. I, although seeing, knowing trip who has had some sexual exploits in the show thus far this might have been fun to see him get kind of put in his place i don't know that this was the best episode to do that in <laughs> i i don't even think i have a problem with with this being the b plot against the a plot you know juxtaposed against each other that 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 was fine with me but i felt like they could have done the plot a lot more a uh, better service if instead of him being so uh 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 considering that the the polygamy to be so foreign to him if he had understood it as as a cultural difference and even embraced it but then they could have pulled out so many more different uh uh emotional story arcs out of that if if he you know um if if he had just treated the the culture differently had accepted it and understood it and 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 let and ran with it they could have written the thing completely differently and still come up with a, a wonderfully twisted and, and com- complex uh, e- emotional uh, character arc through the story. Yeah. You know, what could have gone with that? They, they could have gone um, some much more interesting ways, I think. Yeah, absolutely. G.J. Uh, G. Donnelly of TV Guide was critical of the script and the subplot, but praised Blalock's performance, uh, Blalock, saying Blalock to lends to Paul dignified vulnerability worthy of the subject matter. Unfortunately, the resolution is predictable and the tone throughout is a bit too politically correct. Um, Yeah, I can, I can see that John Rush of the Boston Herald felt that the episodes 
social commentary was too timid and that it failed to fully address sexuality-based discrimination. And others responded positively to the parallels between the episode and the intolerance in human society. And I think we've discussed that at length here. And that's that's been something that's been throughout Star Trek. You know, there were folks back in the 60s who were not super cool that, you know, a black female officer was quite literally over the captain's shoulder, um, you know, it, actually ignoring you know, getting into the Cold War, having a, a Russian at the helm, or excuse me, having a Russian at the con, and, have you know, post-World uh, War II, not long after World War II, having a Japanese helmsman. Uh, there were a lot of issues there that uh, folks probably weren't super cool with at the time. And, you know, but I think I think Star Trek has always done a good job of addressing these and again in science fiction it's easier for folks to let their guard down as it were and sort of explore these thoughts and explore these um these differences in people and cultures and sort of you know when it's only when it's pointed out later that they're like oh yeah and then they have a choice to make of like okay do i hold to my old ideas um that are probably out of date or do I embrace the new, you know, and that's, that's where we end up seeing, like I said before, not everybody's ready to join the Federation, be it metaphorical or literal. <laughs> um, in 2021, the digital fix said that to Paul's centric, that this to Paul centric episode was a morality play about AIDS, but that it feels quote feels a decade too late in its approach. And although the idea was an interesting concept, it quote, is never explored outside the episode and the whole story feels a little heavy handed in its approach. Now, I think they actually do end up revisiting this in later episodes. I think in season three and, and potentially four, it comes back around. Um, but yeah, obviously we're not there yet in uh, 2015 den of geek in a review of important show characters recommended this episode as important for understanding the character of doc flocks, which is true to a degree. I, I I love seeing Doc Flocks, even though he's technically not part of Starfleet, exercising the role he has as a doctor to do no harm. And I think we actually got a glimpse of that back in uh, season one uh, episode, uh, I believe it was Dear Doctor. Uh, yeah. Uh, dear doctor, that was season one. My computer froze and it's not letting me scroll. Okay. Uh, season one, episode 13, which we discussed with uh, my good friend Gary Horn here on the, epi- on the episode. That was actually episode 11 of this podcast. But um, yeah, uh, Andy, do you have any uh, final thoughts regarding this particular episode and uh, the ideas that were explored here? Um, yeah, I think to recap, um... It is pretty standard Star Trek fare for the the crew of the starship to go to another culture and just kind of impose their Americanized beliefs on them. I, I don't yeah. actually necessarily think that that's the wrong thing to do, but let's be honest, that's that is what they are doing. Yeah. Um, um, and if another culture does something that's counter to um, the Americanized beliefs, if they're if they feel like there's a portion of their society that's being subjugated, not treated fairly, um, if if they feel that they're racist, bigoted, or something like that, then mm. then then the crew of the starship will speak out and tell them it's it's wrong, um, regardless of this the, the the prime directive, you know, or the the idea that you allow the other culture to develop um, um, the the way it's going to develop. So. Um, I, I I actually feel that the, the problem with Star Trek in, in all of this isn't isn't the way the the Starship crew tries to to convince others of how they're wrong. The problem really is the prime directive is flawed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, doesn't sense. Yeah, and I think that was an I think that was an issue that was kind of, you know, because so much well, this entire series is taking place pre-prime directive. Where they're, that is true. they don't have, they don't have this set of rules. They don't have these guidelines. Archer doesn't have the, uh, the luxury of saying, oh, well, sorry, that's the rules. Bye. Like he, he can't do that. He, 
he's having to put his own his own uh, his own thoughts, feelings, emotions, uh, uh, morals. You know, he's putting them to the test here, and I think he's. I think it's great that he's got folks in his camp who don't share his same views. Doc Flocks being one of them. You know, as a doctor, he is sworn to do no harm. I don't know that Archer did any sort of thing as a pilot than as a diplomat for Earth. You know, I don't think he ever took some sort of oath. Um, you know, to Paul, uh, coming from uh, a peaceful, logical race, you know, always juxtaposed to the very heightened emotional uh, stance that Archer takes uh, more often than not. Uh, you know, you've got the British, you know, Reed, and although at this point in the show, his interactions with Archer have been fairly limited, but even he approaches things much differently than Archer does. And, uh, you know, the crew, that's, that's the crew, you know, even uh, Travis Mayweather, who he's, he was raised on a, on a starship. He knows how to do this stuff, you know, and then converse, you know, flip side to that coin, Hoshi, who is not okay with being on the star on a starship. He's like, I, I just want to, I just want to listen to languages and, you know, tell you what they mean. That's all I want to do. I'm not down for this space stuff. <laughs> um, but let me just say, Andy, thank you so much for coming on the show today and, uh, you know, sharing, sharing your adventures in uh, cosplay and your love of Star Trek with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure. It's been fun. Yeah. Uh, so next week, we will be joined by fellow podcaster Kevin from the In Star Trek We Trust podcast for Enterprise Season 2, Episode 15, Cease Fire, which is available on Hulu, Amazon Prime, and of course on Paramount+. Plus. Andy, where can people bother you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Instagram, as um, I mentioned earlier about my Hawkman exploits. Uh, my Instagram handle is I'm Hawkman. That's the letter I, the letter M, and then Hawkman, H-A-W-K-M-A-N. Um, I am on Facebook as Andy Holt. If you look me up uh, just as Andy Holt, you should hopefully be able to find me there. Um, and look for the Hawkman pictures again. And I am at Mr. Todd A. Davis on all of the socials. From all of us at the Computer Resume Podcast, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in 10 forward. subspace transmissions to computer resume podcast at gmail.com or at computer resume on facebook twitter and instagram the computer resume podcast was created and produced by mr todd a davis our logo was designed by will martin and justin bishop the opening theme was produced by justin bishop our outro music was provided with permission by drone node additional music was provided by mr todd a davis and gary horn and i'm cat davis at that dot darn dot cat with a k on Instagram, the Computer Resume Podcast is part of the Slice of Fried Gold Network. Hashtag LLAP. We'll see you next time. Going through a Star Trek. We're doing Star Trek stuff in space. We probably got some phasers and shuttle pods. And we're going to find a brand new race. How's that for a Slice of Fried Gold?